I'm Steve. If you haven't met me, I'm the lead pastor here. I work with Donnie and Marvin and the rest of the crew. And today, you know, I hope it's obvious we are going over the top, um, trying to do our best to celebrate resurrection. Um, it's just that big a deal. So let me pray for us, and then let's just talk about it for a few minutes together. Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. And, and again, I, I don't know if there is a motion um, that exists that can give a loud enough hallelujah from the deepest part of us for what you've done. And God, today, if somehow we've gone through life and we, we've never really seen, we've never really been touched, our, our eyes haven't opened to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we pray that this will be that moment, this will be that day, and that, Holy Spirit, you'll do that miracle um, that you've done for all of us, even if it's just for that one today, to, to help us to see really see who Jesus is. We bless you, we love you, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so big celebration mood, right? Well, um, if I can, and by saying if I can, I mean I'm going to do this. Um, I want to go in the other direction for a few minutes. Um, I think it's really important to rewind just a little bit to, to capture the emotion of this day. And so I just want to start by saying that um, in general, we as human beings, we define peace or we understand peace, we view peace in really one of two ways, or, or maybe both ways. Um, the, the first is external peace, and it's just peace out there. You know, peace in our world, people getting along with one another, um, you know, the absence of hostility and turbulence, that's a form of peace. And then, of course, there's the other one, which is internal peace, um, and that's an absence of hostility in us. Um, it's a sense of well-being, that we're okay, that we're content, that, that we're whole and all is well inside of us. And here is the shocker this morning, okay? So get ready. It's all right if you gasp or pass out. But everybody wants peace. <laughs> it's, it's not just beauty contestants, right? Um, we all want peace. We, we all want it in, in every form. And the thing is, we've always all, all wanted peace. It's just a universal thing. Well, back in the time that, that uh, Jesus walked the earth, um, Rome was pretty much in charge of that part of the world, the known world, the civilized world. And Rome, ha ancient Rome, had gone so far as to make a law about peace. It was called Pax Romana, and there would be peace in Rome or else. And they actually kind of pulled it off. Um, very little trouble in ancient Rome. Um, you know, people pretty much behave, not a lot of turbulence. The problem is, though, that's only external peace. Um, ancient Rome had, had no answer for the heart. Um, there was just no way they could make us okay. So spiritually, emotionally, relationally, they missed, all right? So for ancient Rome, the, the, the scorecard, external peace, great big check, Internal peace, nothing. Well, ironically, okay, ironically, peace was born right underneath Caesar, Caesar Augustus's nose. Um, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the very life, light, and love of God came to this earth. And the Word of God says it beautifully when it comes to internal peace in Jesus. Uh, Ephesians 2, 13 and 14 says... Now in Christ Jesus, we who were once far away, okay, far away from what? Far away from God. 
um, far away from wholeness and peace and life, we who were once very far away, we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For Jesus Christ, he himself is our peace. And he did this by destroying every dividing wall of hostility within us and among us. That's part of what we're celebrating today is that Jesus Christ came on a mission of peace and he literally, as the Prince of Peace, he brought the peace of God into people's lives. And he, he didn't do it the normal way, okay? Again, this is an external peace. So in the Gospels, we don't see Jesus, you know, coming up to the table and signing peace treaties. You know, he's not gathering together humanitarian groups. Um, Jesus doesn't go out and crush it in the business world, make a lot of money and kind of distribute it and help people out. People, Jesus brought the peace of God into people's lives by healing us, by bringing the love of God into empty hearts. Um, Jesus proclaimed the word of God. He restored lives, even, even in that video you know, that cute little kid's video, that's what he did. I mean, people who were so broken, Jesus came and, and, and he brought them the love, the light, and the life of God. And so Jesus' time here in the Gospels, it is the most amazing movement of peace of all time. You know, this movement, as Jesus goes all the way through, I mean, it's expanding, it's growing. More people are being swept up into this. The world is changing. It is the greatest story ever until we hit the end of all the Gospels. For example, in, in today's passage, in, in Matthew 27, this beautiful movement of peace and God on the move and lives being transformed, it comes to an abrupt end. As Jesus is dead, he's killed, he's buried, and he's put in a tomb. And it really is, if you stop at Matthew 27, it is the most miserable end to the greatest story of all time. And I want you to feel this, okay? So let me just linger here for a second. I want to read you the end of Matthew 27, 50 through 52, and then 54 through 66. And I want you, if you can, to feel what it felt like when Jesus died. Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, and he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open. When the centurion and those who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was. Surely he was the Son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had become a disciple of Jesus, going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, the dead body of Jesus, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb, 
The next day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was alive, that deceiver Jesus said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples might come, steal the body, and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So right here, again, what a horrific and pitiful end as we are whiplashed. And we have to understand that the people in that day felt whiplashed. They've gone from this movement from life and love and miracles and goodness and healing. They go from that immediately to chaos, to death, to darkness. As the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ is ripped out of their lives. And I know that's a real bummer to say on such a beautiful Sunday morning, but that is the picture that Scripture paints for us when it comes to the life of Jesus. This is what happened to the Son of God at the end of his earthly life. And just imagine what it's like to be one of his followers, to, to be one of these women, to be the disciples that, that have followed him, you know? They've loved him. They believed his words that he really was the one. But now it's over. He's gone. And life as they know it, life as they dreamed that it could be, I mean, straight from his lips, that life is gone with him. But then again, we have that other reading that Lois just read for us in Matthew 28, 1 through 10. We have that next day. We have that Sunday, right? Right after the Sabbath, when these two women, the two Marys, go to visit Jesus' body and understand they are going in mourning. They are going just to be near the last trace of Jesus on this earth, just to be near his dead body. So they go, and, and it's been right after this violent earthquake. And see, what they don't know that is that that earthquake was the power of resurrection. That's what they don't understand. Or it could be this. I love what this Frenchman named Cornus, uh, Cornelius Lapide says. He says, the earth which trembled with sorrow, right? The first earthquake now leaps for joy at his resurrection. So they walk into this. And um, they get to the tomb, and an angel is sitting on top of the rock that was blocking the way to the tomb. By the way, just so you know, angels in Scripture, uh, in the Gospels, are always front men for Jesus, all right? They always show up before he does. At his conception, right, an angel talks to Mary. The night of Jesus' birth, they are filling the sky, singing hallelujah, right? Um, well, here at the resurrection, we have an angel once again. And the angel is just chilling out. He is sitting on top of the rock, and he is waiting for the women, okay? There's one other thing we've got to note about this scene. There was a guard, right? You remember that? Not a guard, a troop of guard. There, there, were, there were sentries, right? You've got the security detail that was supposed to be guarding Jesus' body. Where are they in this moment? In Matthew's gospel, they are laying all over the ground. The angel shows up, they become like dead men. So here come 
Mary and Mary rolling up, right? On the grave, there's an angel sitting there relaxing, soldiers all over the ground, and these two have a reaction. Well, wouldn't you expect that they would have a reaction? I don't know exactly what it was, but I guarantee you there were at least very wide eyes, a very slack jaw. These two are probably trembling in this moment, and the angel has to, has to quickly reassure them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Here he is in dazzling white. Here are these bodies everywhere. These men were here to guard Jesus. You've come here seeking him. But he's not here anymore. He has been risen from the dead. And so the two Marys discover that this stone has been rolled away to let them in to see the truth that Jesus isn't there. He is truly risen from the dead. If we stop here, can you imagine? Are right, you talk about an emotional roller coaster? Imagine the rush of emotion in these two women. I mean, they are gone from the deepest mourning they've ever known to the greatest joy they've ever felt. I mean, they've gone from everything is over, everything is finished, it's all done, our hope is gone, but now he's alive. What must they be thinking? I'll tell you one connection they would have quickly made is, well, if he is alive, then everything he ever said has got to be true. If he's conquered death, every word he's ever spoken to us is real and it's true. Forget what the centurion said, that he was the son of God. He's risen. Therefore, he is the son of God. The light, the life, the love of God, they haven't gone anywhere. They're still right here with us. He's alive. And that means we can live, not just now, but forever with God. He is free from the tomb, so therefore we can really be free from sin and death. I mean, I'm telling you, you know, I heard, I heard, I heard a holler in one of our songs, right at the resurrection part, they're feeling a lot more than this inside. This is a volcano of joy that they're feeling. And while all of this is coursing through them, you know, the reality is just hitting them like waves. What I read next is that the angel has a little fun with them. Because what is an angel? An angel is a messenger, right? A messenger from God is from God. So it's as if the angel turns to them and says, hey, you know what? Why don't I let you do a little bit of my job? I'm going to deputize the two of you to do what I've been doing. So I want you to take a message for me. I want you to go find the disciples. I want you to go to Galilee. And I want you to tell them that Jesus will meet you all there. And so here these two women are. And at this point, they are occupying a very unique place in history. Okay, you put together their experiences and, and they are really breaking new ground here. They are the very first people to, one, have seen Jesus crucified, two, to see him buried, and three, to, to see the empty tomb. Now, some of the disciples will follow, but, but, but for the moment, they are the only ones. And so they take off like a rocket, right, Mary and Mary, probably feeling freaked out, excited, joyful, you know, uh, like a little bit of jelly inside, still kind of trembly, but they go, and then whoops, there's a fourth. As they are the first ones to see Jesus. As Jesus steps out as they are on their way and just nonchalantly says, greetings. Hi, how are you ladies? And I love the reaction of Mary and Mary. You know, I love it that they don't go, oh, hey Jesus. 
Imagine seeing you here. You know, we heard you were back. It's not that at all. Instead, their reaction is priceless. These two women are just undone. Why are they undone? Because they're not seeing earthly Jesus, their leader and their teacher. They are seeing the risen Lord in all of his glory. They are seeing the Prince of Peace. And so what do they do? They hit the deck. They hit the deck in reverence, in worship, in excitement, and fear. And then Matthew adds the sweetest little side note. He says, when they fall down in worship, they grab his feet, right? And what Matthew is telling us here is, look, when Jesus stepped out of the bushes or, you know, from behind the tree or however he did it, he wasn't a hologram. He wasn't a phantom. He wasn't a ghost. He was physically resurrected. And then Jesus says what the the angel says. He says, ladies, you don't need to be afraid in this moment, but do what the angel said. Go, and this is the first time Jesus calls the disciples this, go and tell my brothers that I will meet you all in Galilee. There's a good question here. Why does Jesus need to meet with them in Galilee? Well, uh, the answer is very soon the disciples are going to be telling the story of Jesus, right? We talked about this before. Jesus is going to hand the baton of ministry to them, and these guys are going to be telling the story of resurrection. Now, imagine how the story goes for the disciples. If they're telling the story of Jesus and they say, you know, we saw Jesus uh, walk the earth. We heard everything he ever said. We saw the miracles. We saw him buried, and he's resurrected. And people go, well, did you see that? Uh, no, we didn't. So they need to witness him. They actually need to see him resurrected because something happens when we behold Jesus resurrected. Um, I love this quote. Someone gave me this quote this morning. It was actually from the New York Times. And it was that resurrection changes your worldview, okay? Um, The story of resurrection as just words spoken, and maybe, maybe not, but when you experience resurrection, when you see the risen Lord, your whole world view shifts. And the disciples are going to need to see this. They're going, because with their words and the rest of their lives, they are going to proclaim Jesus Christ. So this is a really big thing, this moment in Galilee that will follow with them and Jesus. So we hear all that today. Okay, that's great. Um, And really good for them back then right? That was then, this is now. But what about us today? Well, uh, the the, the sermon has a second shocker, okay? The second shocker is this, that the invitation of the very first Easter is our invitation today. When you think about what happened to the two Marys and what happened to the two disciples, there is something very simple going on here. For Mary and Mary, it is, ladies, come and see. Come and see that he is not here, that he is risen. Once they see that he is not uh, there, he is risen, the action then changes to now you've come and you've seen, now go and tell. That very same thing is going to happen to the disciples, right? Jesus is going to go to them. They're going to go to Galilee. That's their way. They're going to come and they're going to see him as well. And then they're going to spend the rest of their lives going and telling. 
Well, brothers and sisters, in light of that, let me ask you a question, and I a question, because we're in the place of the disciples and the Marys this morning. What do you see when you look at the risen Jesus? What do you see when you look at Jesus in Scripture? Whether you heard him today through song, whether you hear him preach, whether you read it in the Word of God, what do you see? Because people see very different things when they look at Jesus. Um, we actually have quite a few extremes right here in this passage in the chapter surrounding it. Um, first of all, we have the extremes of the religious leaders. All right, if you know much about them in the Gospels, what do they see when they see Jesus? Well, all they have seen from day one is a pretender, it's a fraud, and they see Jesus as a threat to their religious business. That's all they ever see when they see Jesus, right? They need to get rid of him for crying out loud. Well, what do the two Marys see? When they see Jesus, they see the risen Lord. They see their Savior, their Messiah, their King. Those are, those are the two extremes. And there are also a lot of viewpoints in between, like, for example, Pilate, you know? What does Pilate see when he sees Jesus? Well, he's interesting, isn't he? Because, you know, Pilate, if you, if you track him during the crucifixion and, and even um, after the crucifixion, Pilate is never quite sure what he sees when he sees Jesus. There are times, especially in Matthew, where Pilate sees him and he's like, you know, he could be the one. I wonder, even his wife, you know, I had a dream about this guy. There are times when Pilate really edges over toward life. There are other times when Pilate's like, oh, I don't know, just whatever anybody says, we got to get rid of this right. You, you can have his body. There are lots of different viewpoints of Jesus. But in the end, brothers and sisters, it only matters what you believe. It only matters what I believe. We're not accountable for all those other people. And so this Easter, I just want to encourage you to do this. If you have never answered that question before, who is Jesus? Pick it back up. Ask the question. Seek out the answer. If you need help doing that, man, there are lots of us who would love to just show you even where to do that, talk with you about that, but pick it up. Why? Because it's the most important question in life. And with the answer to that question comes something you will never find out there in this world. You can find a lot in the world, okay? We could go through that for a while, but peace with God serenity, wholeness in your life. It only comes through Jesus Christ. This is a question that's worth answering. And I'll tell you this, when you come to that place, all right, when the lights go on and you see, okay, and, and you come to know who he is, I want to just give you the guarantee of scripture, all right? Listen to this. Romans 10, 9 through 13. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might know you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and you are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. That means there's no rejection. When you make that confession in belief, there's no rejection. It's not like God goes, hey, him, nah, not you. It doesn't happen. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to hear that today if you don't know him. That's a pretty awesome guarantee. Now, to wrap this baby up, for the rest of us, okay? 
Um, for the rest of us, the Christian life, and I think most of us know this, or we might have a hint, the rest of the Christian life is about journeying, right? It is about walking with Christ. And I do not want to insult you today, because this is true for me as well, but Jesus, Isaiah, and Peter all have a name for us, all right, who have called on Christ. You know what they call us? It, uh, well, the, the animal says bat a lot. Sheep, all right? Sheep. And sheep very easily and very often wander away. The truth is in the Christian life, we all have times when we wander away from God. You get beat up by the world. You get really discouraged. Things happen. Maybe it's relationally. We get beat up down here even after Jesus Christ. We have a tendency to wander away. And I want you to know this morning there is a solution for that. All right, there's one of two things we can do if we go, you know what, prone to wander. Lord, I have felt it lately. Yes, that's me. All right, here, here, here's the solution. One of two things. Number one is if we are able, we just return. That's what repentance is. We just return to God. God, I blew it. God, I've missed it. Lord, forgive me. Just forgive me. Make, make some things right with other people if we need to. But we just return. Sometimes we find ourselves in places where we can't even get up and return to God. It feels like that. You know what scripture tells us to do? Cry out. Just cry out to him right where you are. Because the good news about Jesus Christ is he is a shepherd. And Jesus Christ is really into rescue missions. In fact, I would argue this morning, there is nothing he would let get in his way of our rescue. That's how much he loves you. Or to quote another pastor, he loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Throw every excuse against the wall. He still loves you. That's the heart of God for each and every one of us. And the resurrected Jesus, receiving him into our lives is how we access his love, his goodness, his newness, his freedom, his hallelujah. All right? God bless you. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you, Lord, that we are resurrected ones because of Jesus Christ when we receive him into our lives. And Father, I thank you that we are not waiting for a promise that begins when we die, that eternal life begins today when we receive Jesus into our lives. And that is a life of abundance and inner peace. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name, amen.